got up, looked in the mirror, was getting ready for the day's work, and then sort of uh, out of the corner of his usual look, he noticed a small reddish spot. It was unusual for him to notice because he was a guy, and as you know, us guys, we don't care about our skin unless little red spots start showing up. He noticed it, poked it, touched it. It didn't hurt. He thought, oh, I must have gotten bit by a mosquito. Went off to work, no problem. Next day when he was getting ready for work, he looked and he saw, and there it was still. But funny, it wasn't really itchy. It was just there. He ignored it. And like most men, continued about his life because we don't go to the doctor unless we have to. Amen, ladies? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's how we do it. We're going to tough it out. We're men. And so he did not worry about it. He didn't think about it. He just carried on. But over time, something strange started to happen. The little red spot kind of grew. It got well, it got bigger and, and, and tender. He ignored it. Because that's what we do. We men. Right, men? We're men. Some of you guys are, no, not me. <laughs> I understand. He ignored it. Carried about his business. But then the spot grew and then there was another. And a tiny little bump a little raised redness, began to look like a rash. And I don't know about you, but when the rash breaks out, I go see my wife. (laughs) Yes, she is in the medical profession, so, you know. But you know what she tells me? Yeah, you'll be fine. You guys are married to nurses or doctors, you'll know what I'm talking about. Yeah, get over it, you'll be fine. Put some ice on it. When a rash breaks out, and there's no explanation, no reason. You start to wonder. And so it began to spread and the, it, it felt and looked like a rash. And he couldn't really ignore it. He didn't really want to talk to his wife about it because, well, it, was just, it wasn't his thing. But after weeks and months, as the rash began to grow and get bigger, and the tiny little red dot began to become more like a sore, and then the skin broke. And then like a, like a scab. And, and later, more fleshy. He just couldn't ignore it anymore. Funny thing is, he thought his wife didn't notice. But women know everything. You wanted to say amen to that. I know you did. <laughs> women know everything. They have eyes in the back of their heads. They have this sense. You think they're not looking, but they can tell. So she had noticed him kind of poking that thing, looking around, and as it spread, and, and, and despite the fact that he put on his shirt early in the morning and wouldn't go to bed, wouldn't, she knew. But she ignored it too, for a reason. Over time, and as the, as, as, as the scabs begin to take a hold of his torso, They both knew. And then there was that morning when he looked at her and she looked at him and she said, you have to go. You got to go see the doctor. You got to go get that thing looked at. 
There was a knowing glance and a glance of confusion and sadness between them. No other words were spoken, but he thought, well, I'll be optimistic. I'll just go, get checked out. Uh, They'll tell me what to do, and I'll be on my way. But when he got dressed and headed down to the city center, other thoughts began to rush in his mind. Other confusing thoughts. uh, uh, Other doubts. See, when he got there, down to the uh, health office, when he presented himself and said, I need to see somebody about my rash, and he was led to the room, and there he had to wait for the right official, the right individual to come and take a look. And when they came and they took a look, they said, hmm, they didn't touch it. They got close, they examined, they said, seven days, seven days. He thought, seven days? Silently, he thought to himself, this has been going on for a while. But the official said, seven days, seven days, seven days, you have to go and stay away from your family for seven days. Seven days is a long time. Have you ever been away from your family for a week? Wife, kids, loved ones? Seven days is a long time. Especially if they're people that you love. Sometimes people want to get away because they want to get away. But seven days is a long time to be away from your loved ones. But seven days, but at least it was only seven days. But you know what was creeping in the back of his mind? Is that he had heard stories like this before. In fact, he had had acquaintances who had gotten the seven-day treatment. And he was worried. He went back home and told his wife, Honey, look, it's going to be all right. I just have to go away for seven days. See, the doctor says that this thing I got might be contagious. She said, Did you tell him you've had it for this many months? No, no, no. I just showed it to him. And he said, Seven days. That's all I got to do is stay away from, you know, uh, this. Maybe it's the mold in here. Whatever it is, I got to go away for seven days. Seven days. Took off. Packed his few things, headed out of town for seven days. And they went by rather slowly. And when he came back, he had to go see the officials again. And this time he was hoping for a clean bill of health. Have you ever gone to see the doctor and they told you, okay, we're going to run some tests and then we'll call you and let you know? Yes? And then you get a phone call. And they said, you need to come in. We need to talk about your test results. Does that ever happen to you? And then all of a sudden, what, what, can't you just tell me on the phone? No, please come in. Please come in. And you're thinking, okay, they want another copay. Sure, but still, can't they just tell me I'm doing fine? Because it's the waiting, it's the anticipation, it's the not knowing that drives us insane. And sure enough, he needed to come in. And then they looked at it. But this time, the look on the official's face wasn't so hopeful it wasn't so positive and he knew the moment his wife had come down to join him because she was also nervous and anxious and he knew that the moment the official looked at him this was it the verdict came down leprosy you've got leprosy it's not a common disease anymore It's not uh, something that we experience here on our continent, on this part of the world. 
but it's a devastating illness. And it was very common and popular in his day because it is contagious. And because at the time there was no known way to treat it. In fact, the only remedy for leprosy was to be in quarantine, isolated, sent away. Researchers tell us that over time, as people began to learn and understand what this disease does to the body, people try to figure out new ways and, and new methods of treatment. And, and, and in modern day times, we have ways. But in his day, there was no cure. And when the verdict came down and the health official looked at his skin and looked at his, at his, his scabs and said leprosy, it wasn't just a diagnosis of a skin disease. It was a pronouncement of judgment. Do you know why? Because in his day, people thought that if you ever had a skin disease of that nature, it wasn't just biological. It was also spiritual. They thought that if you had a a disease on your skin like this, it was because God himself had looked at you and said, curse you. And I will give you these things on your skin so that everyone knows that I have cursed you. And when somebody was, was, was found to have leprosy, everyone in the community understood or believed that this person had just received the direct judgment of God. And I want to ask you, how would you feel if God showed up today and judged you in this moment according to your deeds? And how would you like to hear the verdicts? And how would you like the person next to you to know the verdict? That was what it was like. To be told that you had leprosy was for the whole community to believe that God had found you guilty and was pronouncing judgment. And the only known cure was to send you away. So the Bible tells us that when somebody was diagnosed with leprosy, they were essentially to be sent out, out of the town. And scholars tell us that essentially these people who were diagnosed with leprosy could not live amongst everyone else. No, in fact, over time, this disease has a degenerative quality to it. What happens is these scabs begin to grow, and sometimes there's a pus, and it can be, it's a liquid form that can be contagious, so you have to stay quarantined. But, 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 but people that develop this disease begin to lose feeling. You probably know this, you've heard about it, you're a medical professional, you understand. They begin to lose feeling, like, like the sensation of touch in their fingers or in their knees or in their elbows and and when you don't feel touch you begin to rub against things that you did not know you were rubbing against and pretty soon people with this disease in its advanced stages begin to lose fingers joints uh, ears and things of that nature and 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 it's in its advanced form people can look like like a like a a zombie, a goblin, a ghoul, no nose, no eyes because they bump up against something and didn't know it And so they're like walking dead. And nobody likes to look at those people. Especially if they are cursed by God. So they sent them out. 
And these poor individuals were forced to live like beggars out on the edges of town. The Bible has strict rules from Leviticus 13 and 14. If you had these diseases and you were considered unclean, you had to cover yourself in a certain way. And wherever you went, you had to yell, unclean, unclean, lest anybody get close enough for you to spit on them and, and, and make them sick. Lepers have their own colonies. You've heard about that. There are still modern-day leper colonies in certain parts of India, other parts of the world, where these people can only live amongst those who are infected in the same way. And that was his case. He didn't know how it began. He didn't know how it started. It almost went unnoticed. But by the time the verdict came down, he knew his fate. He turned to his wife. She looked at him. He looked at her. And and, and not a word needed to be spoken. Because in that moment and in that verdict, do you know what she did? She did the only thing a rational woman in that day could do is take a step back and away from him. She had her kids to be concerned about. He obviously had to leave. He couldn't provide for the family. The society was throwing him out. And, and who would take care of the kids? What if she got sick? She began to think about maybe she did get it. There was no spots on her. But she wondered. And all of a sudden he realized the thing that he had been fearing. He was all alone. Have you ever felt like that? Do you know what it feels like? Do you understand that sensation? When people close to you, in fact those that are your family and your loved ones abandon you. She stepped back, walked away, and he had to say goodbye. Levitical law says he has to go. He had to go. He couldn't come back home, spend the last few days with his family, go on the last vacation together. The verdict is final and it was immediate. You have to leave. And he did. I can only imagine where he went, well, how did he try to find his way, but he had to go. And wherever he goes, he had to sell, uh, yell, unclean, unclean, just to keep his life. Because if they found out he wasn't obeying the rules, there were other punishments for that. Over time, the disease began to take its toll on his body. It began to cover his whole body. This loss of sensation that I've talked to, uh, to you about began to take over. And I'm sure that he lost some fingers, some, some limb. I don't really know. But I know that the disease had ravaged his body. And so he was left to simply survive. I don't, I don't know if you can identify with that. To just, to just live every day just to survive. But each day as he woke up in the morning and as he saw the sunrise, he began to think to himself, the nightmare is not over. This is real. And in the pit of his despair, when all he wished was that he could go to sleep and not wake up again, he heard a rumor. He heard a rumor about some man who people say could work miracles. They called him the miracle maker. He heard a rumor. He heard a rumor about the people passing by the road, the road that he would hold his can out and beg for, for coins and for leftovers and for scraps because that's all he lived at. And he heard this rumor. And then, and then amongst his friends, they began to wonder, did you hear? Did you hear? I heard it too. They say that there's this person, this miracle worker who goes from place to place and does amazing things. Who knows? 
I wonder if it's true. They're probably just making it up. But when he heard it, something happened in the deep, dark recesses of his heart. Something that you and I call hope. See, if you've lost hope today, then, then you don't know what that feels like. If you don't have hope, every day seems like the last one. If you don't have hope, all you're doing is surviving, eking out an existence. Without a hope, there is no future. There's just today. And in his heart, that's how he was living until this moment. And suddenly there was a spring of hope. He began to wonder. He began to think back about his family. Who knows how long they'd been separated by now. How many days, months, or even years that he had gone without seeing them. He couldn't get close. He couldn't come nearby. He couldn't even get into town. He wondered about his kids. Wondered what they might look like. Not seeing them for a decade. If they were grown up. He began to wish if he could just get his life back. And then something began to speak into his heart and began to say, try it. Just try it. Go and see him. What if? But no, in his heart he said, I can't. I can't even get close to the city. I'm sure if he really is a miracle worker, people that's what they say. All kinds of people can go to him and, and, and he does miracles. But I can't get close. Because if I get close, I have to yell unclean. And when I yell unclean, everybody runs. I can't get close to him. Forget it. But the more he tried to put the thought of it in his mind, the more it began to draw from inside of him. And then the thought began to be a heartbeat. And it began to be a feeling, an emotion. Blood began to pump back into his limbs. Hope began to give him courage and he began to take deep breaths like he was going to do something and he managed to get up off his feet and make his way down and stalk the crowd because by this time the crowd was passing from one place to another as was his custom. There was this crowd around the miracle worker and from a distance he saw the crowd. He lurked in the shadows and the crowd was there and he tried to listen. And he tried to hear. And he wondered. He could see him now. Not an imposing figure, but everyone circled around him. And, and, and when he saw him in the distance, he wondered, could I? Could I? Would he? And as he began to think about that, he began to think about his life and all the things he wished he had but did not have and all the things that he had lost because of this curse and about the way he felt by himself, isolated, when others would look at him and give him that look. Do you know that look? Have you ever been looked at like that? In fact, have you ever been looked at that way here? Maybe the first time you showed up here and didn't know exactly where to go and what to do and somebody gave you that look. Do you know what I'm talking about? He began to wonder in his heart. 
But the wonder began to take over him, and suddenly he found breath in his lungs, and, and he began to step forward, and pretty soon a step became another, and another, and a step became a trot, and then a full run, and he made a run down this mountain to the miracle worker, and when he found him, he lay down on the ground as everyone scattered because they could see the scabs on him, and he said, Lord, please. Book of Mark, chapter 1, he said, Lord, please, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The Bible tells us, Mark, book chapter 1, that a man covered with leprosy ran up to Jesus, fell on his knees. Luke says he fell on his face and on his knees, begged him, begged him. Do you know why he begged? Because life had told him, taught him that he was not entitled to anything. As a man cursed from God, he deserved nothing but death. And in the absence of death, the misery of living like a ghoul. And so he begged on his knees, Mark chapter 1, begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I can picture it now. The crowd scattered. No one wants to get contagiously diseased. That's what we do. When people in need come around, we scatter. We don't run away. We just run away far enough where we can see, but not be touched. Ever notice that? We want to know what the commotion is about, but nobody wants to get their hands dirty. The crowd scattered, but didn't run away. And the one person that didn't move? Jesus. Bible says that when this leper, chapter 1, verse 40, when this leper ran up to Jesus, fell on his knees, and began to beg him, the Bible says, verse 41, chapter Mark, that Jesus was filled with compassion. Compassion. And he reached out his hand and touched the man. And he said three simple words. I am willing the story is recorded in matthew it's in mark and it's in luke and in all three places this specific phrase is exactly the same the man runs up to jesus and says lord if you're willing and jesus says i am willing you need to hear that today he runs up to jesus falls on his knees, and he asks this question, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus responds, the Bible says, with compassion. See, that's the difference between him and us, is that when people are sick, we respond by isolating them. See, when people are going through stuff that we don't understand and cannot explain, we step back. We respond with sympathy. Oh, I feel so bad. I'll pray for you. But not with compassion. Because what compassion does is it actually touches. It touches. This man, like the woman from last week, hadn't been touched in who knows how long. Would you touch a leper? If he walked down this aisle, I know he would. Or has. Would you? Not just like this. See, we, we, we don't know how to respond with compassion to people's needs. 
We think we know. And you know what I found when I came to this country? We found that, what I found when I came to this country is whenever there's a need, people, especially in Southern California, respond this way. What, what's the problem? Okay, let, um, let me get my checkbook out. We write a check. Here you go. We think that by giving the money, that'll solve the problems and I don't actually have to touch anybody. But Jesus, Bible says, reaches out and touches him. I think he's making a point, don't you? I do. He reaches out and touches him. The Bible says that immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. And Jesus sends him away. Verse 41, chapter 1, book of Mark. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell anyone of this, but go and show yourself to the priest. Go back to the doctor. Go back to the medical offices. Go back to the people who are supposed to examine you and and, and offer a sacrifice uh, according to what they told you for the cleansing as a testimony. But this man instead goes out, verse 45, and he begins to talk freely, catch this phrase, spreading the news. Does that phrase sound familiar to you long-time Adventists in here? I know some of you are new, but some of you, I think, probably been here for a long time. Spreading the news? We call it evangelizing, or the gospel. Apparently, this leper, cursed by God, so they said, immediately healed, began to, quote-unquote, be a street evangelist. He began to run, spreading the news. Even though Jesus said, keep things quiet, he began to spread the news. And the Bible tells us in the different accounts that people from the surrounding areas began to hear about Jesus and others began to come to Jesus. And and here's the funny thing about this part of the story is that he starts spreading the news because he was in Sabbath school that day and they told him, you should be spreading the news. And he said, okay, I'm going to go spread the news. Was it because he got the Adventist review or, or, or and he, oh, and I'm going to pass out tracts. You know why he started spreading the news? Anybody? Don't, don't answer that. Because there was actually news to spread. See, it's a funny thing because I know I'm a long-time Adventist. I was born and, I, and, and, and I've been told that, oh, you should be spreading the news. But what are you going to say if you've got nothing to say? What kind of news are you going to tell if you've got no news? What kind of story are you going to tell if you don't have a story to tell? So if you're wondering why you're not spreading the news, it's because... You got no news. You need to be touched. Or perhaps you need to come. This man ran to Jesus because it was the last alternative, the only alternative. But, but, but I want you to think about the question he asked when he got there. Because you know who Jesus is. You've heard about it. I'm ranting on about it. But the man said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The Bible tells us that when, when Jesus does a miracle, it's never to say that he's a miracle worker. It's always to reward the faith. And in this man, he's rewarding the faith. But there's a question that he answers in addition to the miracle. The man says, if you are willing. See, here's what I think. Here's what I think. And I don't know if you're like me, but I'm going to guess that you are. Here's what I think. I think that some of us don't know if God is willing to help us with our particular situation. There are things that we think are acceptable messes for God to fix, like like disease. There are things that we think that God can say yes to, but some of us don't think he will say yes to my particular drama. See, we know that God likes to go to hospital beds and stuff, but what if I'm getting divorced? Does God want to help me? 
What, what if I'm the one who's been cheating on my wife? Does God want to help me? What if I'm the one who after, you know, my wife goes to bed, I get on the computer and I'm looking at sites I shouldn't be looking at. What if, does God want to help me? See, I think there's a lot of us that are carrying things that isolate us from each other. You might be living with somebody that you don't love. And you're just playing the game. Now, I know you're looking at me like, I'm not here. Trust me. You might be living in the same household, but you've been isolated for decades. I'm a pastor. I know. Not a woman, but I know. I know that we're humans, and I know that we got problems. And I also know that we are Adventists and we like to pretend that we don't have problems. And the reason we like to pretend is because we don't want anyone to know and isolate us and say, yeah, there he goes. That one. Everyone knows your business. God must not like you. That's why this happened. You lost your business. You see, I told you you should have given more tithe. I told you. You got in an accident. That, you've been coming late to Sabbath school? Look what happens. So we don't like to tell anybody what's really going on with us. We say, I'll have a secret prayer request. Ever done that? Personal. Because we're afraid. In fact, we're afraid that if we were to blurt it out, God himself would say, ooh, that's bad. I thought you only had, you know, disease, but in your situation, I don't know. I know I'm God, but I don't think I can, I don't know what I can do for you. And this man came and he said, Lord, if you are willing. And Jesus responds with these words, I am willing. You know what? You know what? Some of us play this game. I know you're here. I know you're here. And I know some of you aren't always here, but I know you're here. And some of us have learned to play this game. He loves me. He loves me not. When things are going well for us, we think, oh, good, God loves me. When things are not going well for us, even when it's our own fault, we say, God loves me not. And we think that his willingness rises and falls based on our doing and our circumstances or our goodness or lack of. I know it. I know the game. I'm going to dress good, show up to church, and see if God loves me this week. But you are missing the point. Because Jesus says to this man, cursed of God, separated, isolated, all society throws him out. Jesus says, I am willing. See, God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Whoever believes in him, whoever. You notice that? It's like it's, it's whoever. It's not just as long as you meet this criteria or You've got to come to church a few times before God will love you. Or you've got to be a member of the Bonita Valley Church or else you're out. Whoever. And the next one, we don't make our kids memorize that. Probably for a good reason, but it says this. For God sent his son not to condemn the world, but to redeem it, to save it. That's God's intent purpose and the life of Jesus He's living that out. The man says, the man says, Lord, I know you can, but I don't know if you want to. I know you, some say you love me, but I just don't think you love me. And Jesus says, I do 
I am. I am willing. I don't care what happened to you in the past. I don't care what kind of stuff you did last night or what sins you've been dragging in here week after week and nobody knows. Jesus says, I am willing. And you know what? I love that Jesus. I love that Jesus. Because it means that I have hoped too. I'm no better than you are. We're in the same boat. And I, I know what's going on inside of me and what challenges I'm facing. And if I was honest with you, you'd all run out. So I'm not going to do that. But I need that Jesus. Maybe you do too. Maybe, maybe you can stop playing the game. Maybe you just need to know that Jesus is willing. He loves you. He came here for you and, and for the person next to you and across the aisle from you and next door to you. And yeah, even that person that cut you off as you were coming in the parking lot, that person too. And, and, and everyone else that your family has kicked out of their circle, you know, that one uncle, or everyone else your friends thinks isn't cool and we should not hang out, Jesus came for them too. And everyone else that society has, and, and maybe, maybe that's just where you are today. You're sitting here, but you're all alone. I want you to know this. Jesus says, I am willing. He loves you no matter what. And that's good news. That's word spread. That's why I talk about Jesus, because I know who I am, and I know that he loves me still. So I say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Why am I a Christian and a believer in Jesus? Because there's somebody who knows all my deep, dark secrets, and he loves me still and is willing to help me. He doesn't just leave me there. He doesn't just see me begging on my knees and say, okay, I'll pray for you. Jesus says, I'm willing You're mine. I came here just for you.